Great to be here with you, and we continue in our series, Ignite. We actually wrap up the series this, week, the series this weekend. We start a new series next week on a Mother's Day weekend. Um, but we have been looking at the movement that Christ ignited nearly 2,000 years ago. His coming offered uh, salvation uh, to not just the individual, but literally the availability to transform our society. Since the time of Christ, his church has been used as a significant source of social services like schooling and, and medical care, as well as inspiration for art and culture and philosophy and politics and, and world affairs. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and that prayer was not just an expectancy of, of the future return of Christ, but literally a prayer that God's kingdom would come down on earth in our homes, our neighborhoods, or our region, if you will, that, that his kingdom would expand and the lives of people transforming our society. Christ's coming ignited a movement that transforms his followers, really re unleashing them to be world changers. And God's word, the Bible, is really the primary way in which he still speaks to his followers today. God's word. And, and, and as we study God's word, the question always comes up, how do we study it accurately? How do we, how do, we do that? And hermeneutics is the discipline of interpretation, and biblical hermeneutics sets forth principles for understanding and applying scripture. And, and one of those key principles is the principle of repetition. When, when you see something in scripture repeated uh, more than once, it, we take special notice of it. And in the Bible, five times, five times it's repeated this thing we call the Great Commission. It's in each of the Gospels and the book of Luke. And so each of the Gospel writers, and then Luke, who is sort of the New Testament historian, each thought so important that they had to put it in their writing, inspired by God. And so there's repetition there saying, we should take special notice to this Great Commission. I just want to say that if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, or, or if you're sort of investigating what it would mean to enter into that relationship with him, then I would think, I would just think that one of the things you'd want to know is, what is your mission? Like, like, if we say yes to Jesus, what are we saying yes to? Not just salvation, but what is the journey that Christ wants to take us on? And the Great Commission answers that for us. Now, the interesting thing is that George Barna did a research back in March 2018 where he found out that 51%, 51% of churchgoers don't even know there is a Great Commission. I want that to sink in for a minute. Over half of believers don't even know there's a Great Commission. So they, they're attending church and they don't even know their mission. And take upon that another 25%, so about just over three-quarters of believers, that 25%, when they were asked about the Great Commission, they said, I think we've heard about it. We just don't know what it means. So over three-quarters of the church in America, churchgoers, don't even know the Great Commission, the mission that Christ has sent us on. Only 17% when they were asked in this survey in 2018, only 17% said, we know the Great Commission, we know what it means. I want you to think about that this morning. Now, Pastor Chris did an excellent job a few weeks ago of, of explaining to us the Great Commission. If you weren't able to hear that, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to that message. What I want to do is share the plan 
that God has given us that actually he's through his apostle Paul lays out for us in scripture of how we fulfill the Great Commission. But before we jump to that, I do want to read the Great Commission for us. I'm going to read it from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So as we come to Christ, Jesus said, what, we're to be baptized, we're to be taught what it means to be a Christ follower, and we're to live on mission. We're to be disciples of Jesus, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And this is true for all of his church and every follower of Jesus Christ. You know, all of us in the world is the sum total of what the church is. We are the church. The followers of Christ are the church. And this is what he's called us to do. Again, Pastor Chris did an excellent job. So I want to spend really the time we have together looking at this, this way that Paul has said, this is how this is fulfilled. This is how we fulfill the Great Commission. And Paul, an apostle and Christian world changer, he gives us a strategy in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Let's look at that together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in him. So let's sort of break this apart a little bit. We'll start again with verse 11. He gave some to be what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. In verse 11, some have called that list of individuals the APEST, A-P-E-S-T, speaking of what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and of course, shepherds and teachers. And who were these individuals that Paul is writing about? Well, the, the apostles, those who held the apostolic office, the 12, and then Paul coming in an unusual way into that, into that group, uh, were, were given this uh, office of leadership within the first century church. Also, it addresses those who simply just carry the gospel message with God's authority. And so the actual word apostle means one sent as an authoritative delegate. And so there's this understanding of this office of apostleship, and then, as we'll see in a moment, a gifting of apostleship. And this is true with the prophets as well. The New Testament prophets were gifts to the church to provide edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church. So you have apostles and prophets, and there's this office of apostleship and this office of, uh, of being a prophet. And, and the offices were foundational to the church. The scriptures were, were, were not written yet or being written. Everyone didn't have a Bible. And so the apostles and the prophets were gifted in such a way that they were to say, this is what we're to believe. This is how we're to understand the Old Testament. They're the ones inspired to, to write scripture. And, and I just want to be very clear, the office of apostle and the office of prophet no longer exists today. 
No longer exists today. You say, well, why? Well, because we, don't, we can't add to Scripture anymore. And, and so if someone comes and says, I have a new word from God, it's new to his word, it's not a new word from God. And on the same page? I don't know who they got it from, but it wasn't from him. Now, the giftings of the apostle and the giftings of a prophet are still valid today. Those individuals who, who start new churches or movements could be called apostles, those who are proclaimers of the truth. I think of prophets today many times in academia, those who are writing commentaries and, and giving us great insight. I had a uh, professor in seminary, Dr. Larkin, who did a ton of research in the book of Acts and um, one time I asked him about, you know, just the ancient languages and how much time he spent in it, and he could tell I was overwhelmed. And he said, let me do my job well so you can do your job well. Let me do my calling well so you can do your calling well, which made me feel really good about him doing the scholarship and me learning from him and being able to, to pastor. So the office of apostle, prophet, no more. The giftings of apostle and prophet, absolutely. Evangelists are those engaged in spreading the gospel home and abroad. Uh, now, some of us get mixed up on this. We're all called to share our faith. That's evangelism. Some people are really gifted at it. And they're called into sort of this position of an evangelist. Uh, Billy Graham traveling and speaking. And sort of an itinerant speaker type of thing. Then you have pastors and teachers. And these two are very interesting. Because they're, they're listed together because uh, they're governed by one article in the original language. They're tied together. This could be because they're two kinds of gifts that are just sort of sort of necessary within the local body. It could be because they're the same person really having both of these gifts, that a pastor is a, and a teacher is the same thing, or it could be two separate things. Here, here's what I'll say. It doesn't really matter. What, what Paul is saying is, is that there are vocational leaders within the church, the apest, and that they're there for a specific reason. And, and what is the purpose of the apest? Well, look at verse 12. To equip the, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the purpose of those who have the apostolic gift or the prophetic gift, those who, who are evangelists, who are sort of itinerant speakers, those who are local church pastors and teachers, the purpose of the apest is to prepare God's people for works of service. I want you to think about that for a minute. The purpose, you equip God's people for the, for the works of service. The purpose of the apest is to equip other believers for the ministry to give them stability doctrinally and practically so that they can lead in the place where God has placed them to serve him. Every one of us is called to make disciples. Now, how we do that and where we do it is different. All of us have that as our main calling, but our secondary calling may look a little different. Maybe you're a nurse. So the question is, how do you make disciples as a nurse? How do you make disciples as a teacher? How do you make your disciples as a clerk? That's secondary sort of call. Well, the pastors and teachers and these individuals are supposed to help get, equip all of us so that we're able to do the things that God's called us to do. More literally, the purpose is for protecting or equipping Christ followers to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And the goal of all of us is what? For building up the body of Christ. And this shows that all saints, not just a few, are called for ministry. All believers are gifted to serve others spiritually. And dare I say, I think many churches, especially in our culture, get this one wrong. Many churches look at the pastor and say, well, he's the one that does ministry. And the reality of it is the pastor should do ministry or he shouldn't be a pastor but he should be equipping people to do the work of ministry. 
That's why here at Crosswinds, we believe so strongly in small groups. They're little crosswinds. They're pastoral units that gather together to encourage and pray for one another, encourage each other week after week so that they can do the work of ministry. And, and that's where a lot of pastoral care takes place. You say, well, what about the pastor? Well, pastoral care isn't just for the pastor. It's for all of us. That's why when someone says, well, why isn't the church doing? The first person we should look at is ourselves in the mirror. And then the question would be, what equipping do I need to do that? And that's what the leadership is for, to help make sure the equipping is taking place. All believers are gifted to serve others spiritually. Well, what does it mean to serve others spiritually? Well, let's, let's continue to look at, at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All believers are gifted to serve others spiritually until we all attain. Some translations use the word reach. In the book of Acts, the word is used for travelers to sort of, sort of specify their destination. And so another way of asking the question we're looking at here is, is what is the destination of each and every one of us? What's our destination? Well, we are to attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity of the faith. It's every one of ours' responsibility to fight for unity in the church, to believe in it, to want to be united. And so that's, that's, that's our destination. And the knowledge of the Son of God, to be growing. That's why we say our mission is what? To know God and make him known. And I don't know about you, but I've been a believer now for many years. I continue to learn more about God. I learn more about God through his word. I learn more about God through experience. I learn more about God from other people. And, and, and there's this amazing thing that I'm on this destiny of, of knowing him and yet knowing him and knowing him and knowing him. What else are we to attain to? Mature manhood. I mean, that could be personhood. Maturity. Now, we know what maturity is, right? It's, it's, it's growing up. It's understanding the things of God. You know, there's other stats that talk about how little Christians are in the Bible, which makes no sense to me. If the primary way God speaks to us is in Scripture... I think we should be running to the Bible, running to it, opening it up, eating from it. It's amazing how many people will come to me and say, what do you think God wants me to do? Like, they trust me with that. You know, I think God wants you to go out and wash my truck. You know, I, I, you know and I want to give guidance, but at the end of the day, I ask, well, how much, you know, have you, have you prayed about it? Have you been in the Word about it? Well, not, not really that much. Well, why don't you start there? Because I'm a good sounding board. Like, I'm a good sounding board. Like, if you prayed and you've read God's word and you think, I, th I think God's called me to do this, and then I could sit and help you with that. I can go, well, man, you know, I don't think God's calling because that's against scripture. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's scriptural. I can see God using you like that. Your small group, you know? You know, I, I think there's like this American Idol thing that sometimes happens in the church where, where we're so nice, we think, and someone says, I think God's gift to be in this. And the person says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they leave and go, oh, no, 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 <laughs> you know? And, and so there's just that time with love. We go, well, I don't know if God's calling you to that. And if they push you, you have to say, well, because you don't have that gift. But man, you have this gift. And, and so there's that maturing in Christ that we're to arrive at. And then the third thing mentioned there is the full measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. That's what we talk about with sanctification. That's what we talk about being like Jesus. 
his character, his love, his purpose, and his priorities. I, I look at those stats that, that, that Barna gave, 51% not knowing the Great Commission, you know, 25%. No, I know the phrase, but I'm not really sure what it means. So, so over 75% of the church is not really, not really understanding that thing. And, and I think it's, it's tragic in so many ways, but one of them is I go, if I wasn't really sold on Jesus, unless I was investigating the things of Christ, I wouldn't go to church. Like there's other things I would do on a Sunday morning. You could sleep. It's not everything's always bad. You could, you could go fishing, take a walk. We're here because we know who God is. We're here because we want to grow in Christ. We're here because we want to encourage each other. We're here because we want to know what God's word says and, and pick up some, some skills so we can study it on our own, so we can live the flourishing, vibrant life that Jesus came to give us. And to live on mission. To be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. See, as believers function according to the gifts God has given them, the body, the church as a whole enjoys unity. It becomes more spiritually mature, more like Christ and his love and his character and his purpose and his, and his priorities. Now, what's the ultimate result? So if we do these things, if we follow what Paul has spelled out here, you have the apest who, who equips the church to do the work of ministry. You have individuals who are not only doing the work of ministry, but they're growing in Christ. What's the result of this? Well, first, Paul shares sort of a negative example, Ephesians 4.14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the negative example is we, we're no longer children in the faith. And, and I go back to the video we saw you know, earlier in the service here, and I love what one of them said is she loves doing children's ministry because children are like sponges. And they eat it up, and she said they're literally, you say it and they believe it. You know, and that is, a, that is a tremendous thing. Do you know what the negative thing is? You say it and they believe it. I don't know how old I was, and I don't know why I remember it, but I remember coming home and my mom saying something and me saying my teacher doesn't believe that. I don't know what it was. I just remember the look on her face, you know? And, and the reality is we, we have these authority figures growing up, and, and as children, we think, man, if they say it, it's got to be true. And, and the reality of it is that's why it's so important what we do as Christian parents and what we do as, as Christian mentors and what we do in our children's and student ministry because much of what's being said outside of the church, to be honest with you, isn't something that we want our kids to live by. Like they may hear someone say, you need to look out for number one. And doesn't that sound really great except for it's a lie? You need to just look to Jesus and let him look out for you, then you can flourish. Come on, church. Some of you are being quiet because you're still wrestling with that one. I get it. I am too. And, and so we don't want to be like children, tossed around. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've ever been in the ocean and had the waves sort of knock you about a little bit. That's the image that Paul's given us here. He said, don't let, don't let the, the philosophies of the world just knock you around. You want to be like a child. So negatively, believers should not be like children, immature in the truth of Christian doctrine and led into falsehood. Then he gives us this positive example. 
verses 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In contrast to a gullible child, believers are to know the truth and share it in love, growing in Christian maturity. Paul continues to use this body metaphor. He says, just like our bodies grow, right? Just, just like they grow in strength in these things. That He says, the body of Christ, which is us, as we, as we search the things of God, as the apex pours into us and unleashes us, and as we're pouring into each other, fighting for unity, believing the things that we're learning in Scripture, and living them out daily, but something's unleashed in us, but allows us to continue to mature. We know God, we make him known. We continue to know God and make him known. We're disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And Paul wants us to understand that all this needs to happen out of love. Love is an essential factor in our ministry. So it's not just about doing things and checking them off a list. It's about doing things in love. I was with my granddaughter the other day. And uh, have you ever heard I'm a grandparent? Okay. <laughs> And so I was with my granddaughter the other day, and I don't know why, she was wanting me to do something. And I, 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 I just was doing something else. And she went, please. And she's in this face. She says, please, all the time, which is a good thing. But sometimes the way she says this, please, doesn't sound all that good. So she literally stomped her foot. She went, please, pop, pop. And my wife was looking to see what, what I would do. And I said, well, what do I give? She said, well, I'll give you a kiss. And so I thought, well, y'all do anything then. So she gave me a kiss, and I went and did what she is. You are a dysfunctional person. That's what my wife said to me. And I said, I said, all the way, all the way. I'll give my life for that little girl. I love her so much. And then love that, that Paul uses here. In the Greek, there, there's different words for love. You've heard me say this before. The unfortunate thing about America is I love my wife, but I also love Big Macs. I don't love them the same. Amen. Yeah, my wife will be in the next service. She's going to want that encouragement. But in the Greek, it's the, there's very specific words for the different types of love. And the word that Paul chooses here is agape love. And agape love is unconditional God love. It's a selfless, self-giving love. It's a love I, I have for God. God has for me. It's a love I have for my granddaughter, and we're supposed to have for each other and the people around us. I'm not looking out for number one. I'm looking to Jesus, and he's helping me look out for those around me, not in a codependent, weird type of way, but in a, a God-loving, I believe God has the power to transform people type of way. And Paul says that, that's the motivation. That's like, that's, like, that's like what drives us, is our love for God and our love for others. We must understand that there's really no Christian maturity or true Christian ministry without love. And every act of love in the name of Christ is valued and remembered by him as each part is working properly. Just think about it. Each and every believer is to function in Christ's body by God's enabling grace in accord with the measure of the gift that God has bestowed on them as, as his followers. When each and every believer accomplishes that measure, the church grows properly, coming ultimately to this measure of, 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 of Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. When each and every believer assumes their God-designated place as a church, they grow as his disciples, and they, and they grow as his disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's why we're here 2,000 years later, 
because of those who have gone before us who got this and lived this. We gain a picture from Paul in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 of the body fitly framed and knit together. You know, this, this, this body of Christ and each and every one who's part of that body fitting together for the purpose of fulfilling the great commission. Lord, he's growing disciples. The preservation of unity is a responsibility for every believer. We're to be united in love and purpose. I love the little girl. That video touched me, by the way. I'm a product of, of children's ministry. My parents weren't believers, but they dropped me off at Sunday school. And so I was mentored by, by Sunday school teachers. That's one of, the re, one of the things that God used to bring me to this point. And so, and, and by the way, if you can say no to those two girls who are basically saying, hey, anyone want to pour into us? You're a better person than me. Uh, but, but, but I loved, I loved just that, 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 that individual was just talking about just that, that one little child who was like, you know, I, I, this, is, this is family. She gets it. This is family. You've heard me say it before. You're my brothers and sisters. And like it or not, when you said yes to Jesus, you, you invited me in to be your brother. Get over it. We're family. We're to be united in love. It doesn't take much thought to conclude then that God's church falls way short of what it can be when we're not working on mission. In fact, we as believers don't, don't, aren't able to experience the full gamut of what God's word says we ought to experience if we're not living on mission. I don't think it's a stretch, church, to realize that if we're not growing disciples who make disciples to make disciples, then, for instance, our marriages will fall short of what God desires for us. I mean, I really believe that. When I have couples come in, they're seeking counsel from me. I'll ask them, you know, are you praying together? Are you... Are you sharing God's word with each other? Are you, are you serving God? And many times they're like, look, we just want you to make sure we can get along with each other. And I'm like, well, and, and listen to me. I mean this with all the love. If we're not living for Jesus, our marriages will not flourish the way God intends them to. Like, you can't shortcut that. Like, that's part of what God calls us to, to do life together. And the beauty of marriage is I have a wife keeping me accountable and pouring into me, and I get to keep her accountable and pour into her and do life together. And many times it's great, and it's still a little messy at times. But God is so faithful. Amen? It would seem to make sense if we're not living on mission, then our families will fall short of what God desires for us. Our friendships will fall short of what God desires for us. Our impact in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, our schools, our community will fall way short of what God desires of us. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. When you and I come to Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit take our part as his church, being growing disciples who make disciples who make disciples, we're grafted into that movement Christ started 2,000 years ago. Like we're part of it. We stand upon the shoulders of thousands of people who have come before us who fought the same fight that we are fighting, who understand that when everything is said and done, that the battle of life really belongs to God. And as we surrender ourselves to him as his church and say, you know what, God, you're the one who gets to set my mission. Like I tried life my own way and it wasn't working well for me. You're the one who's called me. You're the one who sets the parameters of safety in my life. I want to live for you. I want to know you and make you known. 
I want to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. Then all of heaven breaks out. It washes over us and through us to the world around us. We're ignited as Christian world changers, engaged in Christ's kingdom mission. Here's my prayer for us this morning. Here's my prayer for us. Lord, bring us to you. Grow us up in you. Use us for your kingdom's sake until all have the opportunity to know and do the same. Bring us to you. Grow us up in you. And use us. Use us to share your message until others come to you and can do the same. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning, but God is present. He's working. Look to him. Keep your eyes on him. Stop looking out for number one. Let let the one look out for you. The battle belongs to him. He is our God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to be here this morning, to be able to look at your word together. Your your word is living and active. And as we approach it, we thank you for those who inspired to to write each word of it, your word, your living word, so we can study it, we can know you, we can grow in you, we can come to the fullness of Christ-likeness, we can continue to become more like Christ in his character, his love, his purpose, his priorities, that we can live as your disciples, that we can learn from you and be those who would teach others about you. Help us live in your love, help us live on mission, Help us remember that as the body of Christ, that we're all ministers of the gospel. We all have the opportunity to share your love and message with those around us. In fact, Lord God, thank you for blessing our gathering so much. But as we scatter in just a moment throughout this region, I pray that your spirit fire would ignite us. That you would fill us with your hope, that you would fill us with your power, your peace and your comfort. So that as you bless us, we'll be a blessing to others. I believe you want to transform our region for you. And Lord God, I pray that it would begin with me, that it would begin with each and every one of us, looking to you, trusting you, being used by you. I pray for the marriages in this room, that you would strengthen them. I pray for those who have broken marriages. And Lord God, and maybe their hearts aching right now, and I pray that you would heal them up, Lord God. You love them. I pray, Lord, for our families. Protect our families. Protect our children. Grow them up in the strength and the wisdom of God. Oh, Lord, would you make us, would you make us spiritually dangerous in a positive way for the kingdom that all would know your love and the power of walking in you. In Jesus' name we pray.